Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your host for the afternoon, Michelle Jawando, on the Leslie Marshall Show, and always great to be with you and a part of the Leslie Marshall family. Hope you would give us a call because there is quite a lot to talk about today. If you want to join in the conversation, give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Again, that's 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Or you can join the conversation on Twitter at Leslie Marshall, at Michelle with one L, Jawando. All right, my friends, where do we begin? So I think last week um, I was coming to you live from D.C. a little bit after we found out that the Attorney General, uh, Jeff Sessions, had lied under oath about his contacts with Russian officials um, during his testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. We were talking about all things of Trump's first address to Congress, and then the weekend happened. And what happened over the weekend in this town now? Twitter and Trump. (laughs) They should actually be two things that go hand in hand. And what we quickly found out is that the President of the United States, Donald Trump, you know, it's still hard for me to say that, um, accused the former president, of wiretapping his phone. We also then found out, uh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, and Barack Obama, the spokesman, said uh, unequivocally that's false, but nonetheless, that didn't stop our current president from saying it was the truth. You had uh, Jim Comey, who's the FBI director, saying that it was false. You had DNI Clapper, the, dem- uh, the director of national intelligence, saying that did not happen, but yet we see a story that has continued to circulate as well as the latest news today about the newest version of the executive order um, connected to Trump's infamous travel ban. You know, the new ban, you know, many people remember about a month ago, we were a huge uproar. But this new ban removes Iraq from previous from the previous list of Muslim majority countries. Um, it also adds a 90 day hold on issues of visas to citizens of six countries, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria and Yemen. It stops refugee admissions worldwide for 120 days. And the revised directive also removes language that appears to give priority to Christian refugees. Well, here to help me break down all of that and everything that's happening in the news, um, a new friend to the show, Matt Gertz. He's a senior fellow at Media Matters. You can find him on Twitter at Matt, M-A-T-T-G-E-R-T-Z. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And also joining us on the phone, none other than Jonathan Smith. He's a legal director at Muslim Advocates. You can find him on Twitter at Muslim, M-U-S-L-I-M, Advocates, A-D-V-O-C-A. T-E-S. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Michelle. 
So, okay, you know, Jonathan, let's let's start with you, because I think, um, you know, as people are getting caught up on social media and Twitter, um, you're finding out more and more about this latest ban. But tell us what uh, the latest iteration of this, uh, as we call it colloquially, the Muslim ban, what it is. Sure. So as you mentioned, on January 27th, the president issued the first version of this order, and that prompted a number of court challenges where they almost universally were rejected by the courts. And so as a result, they've reissued the order, they've rescinded the first order, and now they have this new version of the Muslim ban. And there are some notable changes, as you mentioned. They removed one of the seven countries. Iraq is no longer listed as one of the banned countries. They also added uh, some additional protections uh, for uh, green card holders. Uh, they took away uh, some of the, um, uh, there used to be a permanent uh, suspension of Syrian refugees. That's been removed. The preference for Christian refugees has been removed. But for all those changes, which, which are notable, I think it's really important to remember that this still is a Muslim ban. This is a ban that still applies to six majority Muslim countries. It's a ban that targets those countries and really that religion for a different treatment. Um, and one of the things the court said was that not only were there were due process concerns in terms of who was targeted in this ban, in terms of green card holders and the like, but also a number of the courts said that there were a number of constitutional issues with this ban because it seemed to violate um, the First Amendment, the freedom of, of, of free exercise of religion, also maybe the equal protection clause of the Constitution, and those problems still exist even with some of the changes that were made um, earlier today. And, you know, Matt, as as we start to kind of digest this, you know, it strikes me as, as odd that we're kind of in this place where uh, this administration, the first time they rolled out the ban, you had this big press conference, presser, there was none of that today. Um, there was just a tweet from Spicer and kind of leaked memos. Um, and it, it, and you almost wonder, were they afraid to even defend this band with this kind of very low-key rollout? Yeah, you know, apparently um, the White House did a briefing on uh, these uh, on this new order. Mm -hmm. um, and the briefing was, it was a background briefing, which is not mm -hmm. terribly unusual for something like this. What was unusual is that the officials on the call didn't give their names to the reporters. Even in mm. cases where it's a background briefing and they're not allowed to quote, uh, you know, who's specifically saying things, they always tell you who they are. And I think that kind of raises the question, are, are, are they afraid to stand behind this? Do they not want to be associated with the things that uh, they're being uh, forced to, the, the, that the Trump administration is doing? Or is this just another part of their sort of overall war on the media, their unwillingness to provide access and information even at, at its most basic level. You know, I, I wonder, and that's so fascinating, I hadn't heard that, and and I appreciate it. If you're just joining us, I have in studio with me Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow at Media Matters, and Jonathan Smith, Legal Director at Muslim Advocates. I think, Jonathan, one of the biggest questions that most people will have is what happens to all of the lawsuits that are currently circulating um, across the country about the first order. Um, will challenges then be wrapped into the second order? I think that's just kind of a process question, but we saw there was such an outcry. You saw people at airports. You saw these great dramatic wins. You know, you had probably the largest um, kind of listening audience of the Ninth Circuit 
oral arguments um, before the appellate uh, judges in this case. So what happens with all of those claims with the first order? That's a really good question. We don't fully know the answer. Uh, There are dozens of cases in courts all over the country. And what happened after the White House announced that they were going to issue this new document, the Department of Justice went to the courts in all those cases and said, basically, put it on hold because we have this new order coming out. And most of the courts agreed to that. Some of the courts did not. But for the most part, most of the litigation has been essentially stayed until this new order comes out. Now that the new order is out, you know, it's only been a couple of hours, so we haven't really seen uh, fully what's going to happen in the courts. But I imagine uh, the Department of Justice may try to move and try to get rid of some of these cases to say that, you know, we fixed the problems in this, you know, in this new order, so therefore these cases should be dismissed. I'm sure the plaintiffs in those cases are going to say, no, you know, this revised order is still a Muslim ban, this revised order is still discriminatory, um, and we still have a claim, and so likely the plaintiffs in those cases will amend their case uh, to, 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 to factor in these new developments. And interestingly, the Ninth Circuit, which you mentioned, you know, they are moving ahead with their briefing schedule, and they, um, I think in an order they issued last week, said, you know, we expect that there will be a new order, but we expect that the plaintiffs will amend their complaint to reflect that, reflect that fact. So I do... Uh, it would not surprise me if many of the cases do stay, um, mm-hmm. because I think the, the judges, you know, realize that there's a clear connection between, between the, first the first order, order and this new second order. That totally makes sense. So, Matt, you know, we're going to get ready to go to our first break, but when we come back, um, I want to talk about, writ large, the fact that we've seen this uptick in hate crimes and incidents across the country and how deeply connected um, this president is to kind of right-wing media and what that in turn we're seeing play out in actual incidents across the nation. I know Media Matters, you guys do an amazing job in tracking kind of what we see in the media and what we don't, what's said and what's not said. So when we come back from the break, I want to pick up there. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show in studio, Matt Gurr. Media Matters, Jonathan Smith, Muslim Advocates. We'll be right back after the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you. Give us a call at 888-653-7543. That's 888-6-LESLIE if you want to join the conversation. I'm back in studio with Matt Gertz from Media Matters and Jonathan Smith, Legal Director at Muslim Advocates. So, Matt, before the break, you know, I kind of teed up this this question that there has been this increase in hate crimes. Um At the same time, we have seen many of the 
I would say kind of white nationalistic kind of fringe move to the center of our discourse and our media because of whether or not it's, you know, Steve Bannon in the White House or Trump retweeting some of these individuals. But that is seems to kind of correlate with this this di- these direct incidents happening all across the nation. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it, it means that white nationalists love Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just sort of, you, you just got to start there. You got to sort of get that out of the way. Um, they really like him. They like they loved uh, when Steve Bannon moved into the campaign, the, the mm-hmm. uh, former uh, Breitbart executive chairman who is now uh, the chief strategist to the president. Uh, they loved when uh, Jeff Sessions was named attorney general. They're huge fans of Jeff, Jeff Sessions. Sessions. Yeah, they love Jeff. Um, yeah, I mean... Jefferson I mean, Bogart. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, a couple months before the election, the AP had an, a uh, headline that literally said, experts say white nationalists see Trump as their last stand. I mean, that's mm. that's literally where we are. And, and then he won, and they were all, you know, overjoyed. Um, but you have to start there. I mean, there there is something, and it's not hard to say what it is. It's mm-hmm. you know, racism uh, <laughs> that uh, brings these people together with Donald Trump. That's that's what they're in it for. They're in it for the Muslim ban. They're in it for the wall. Mm-hmm, they're in mm-hmm. it for the idea that white people are losing, uh, and that when Donald Trump says "Make America Great Again," they think that's that's what he really That's means. He, he means, means we're going we're to make it like it was back in the 1950s, which, you know, everybody says, oh, it's the Leave it to Beaver time. No, it's the pre-civil rights period time. <laughs> um, that's that's what that group is there's, looking for out of there's Trump. That, there's that. So, Jonathan, you know, over the weekend we saw, you know, two incidents of, um, of incidents with one dealing with a Sikh American, and then also we saw even yesterday there was another incident. Um, what has it meant for you kind of working at Muslim Advocates during this period? There's obviously the the kind of legal challenges that your organization seeks to bring, but in addition, there's just kind of every day, day in, day out, seeing these incidents. What, what has that been like? There is a tremendous amount of fear and uncertainty in the community, and I will say, before I, I took this position at Muslim Advocates, I actually had the privilege of serving in the Obama administration in the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, where one of my responsibilities was actually working with federal law enforcement, with our prosecutors, with the FBI, to investigate these very types of cases. And under the Obama administration, we obviously put a high premium on not only handling these types of cases, but also reaching out to impacted communities and making sure that they knew that the federal government was a was an ally and a partner in, in these types of issues. And I think, you know, it's just heartbreaking to see the federal government go from an ally and a partner to the uh, kind of persecutor of these communities. And I think it just it spreads fear, it, it spreads uncertainty, uh, it makes people really question, I think, you know, their place in this country and, and whether they can depend on the laws uh, that we all often take for granted. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to put into words just the impact that these acts of, of hate violence, when you couple them with the acts of the administration, you know, are doing, broadly speaking, to, to, the, to the American Muslim community. So, you know, Matt, something you mentioned over the break, it, 
it seems in some ways that members of the intelligence community are trying to prevent this president or to kind of alert the American people for what's, what's happening. And you're starting to see kind of circulating on right-wing media um, this term deep state. Now tell our listeners kind of what that is and, and what do you think the damage is um, if, if this conversation continues to happen and we know the president is reading these kind of right-wing media outlets. Sure. I mean, the deep state is uh, largely a term that's used for the sort of collection of the intelligence community, the State Department, various people at the sort of bureaucratic level, um, the sort of the way it gets framed in depending on how conspiratorial you're going is it's the sort (laughs) of secret government behind the government that's Mm. really pulling all the strings and deciding everything. Now, uh, you know, Let's, we're not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the intelligence community doesn't have an incredible amount of power in mm-hmm. the U.S. government and like a, a uh, and is capable of exercising a lot of capabilities um, that I think should make us all a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, we also have a president who appears to uh, have won in not small part because of uh, the, that was what a foreign government wanted to happen. That was, you know, <laughs> we had a, a fairly obvious uh, intelligence operation uh, that went on in, in the back half of the election where, you know, uh, hackers uh, that were backed by the Russian government took a lot of documents and released them to the public. Um, and to so help a of, person get yes. elected. <laughs> yes, which is also... Who not was something. not named Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yes, which is also something you don't really want to see. So so it's sort of a... It, it's a tricky situation that we're all in right now, yeah, right? Because yeah. we all want the information. We all want to know what's happening. At the same time, we worry that, uh, you know, it might not be a great idea for intelligence officials to be, re- be releasing this sort of information in an unfiltered way. Mm-hmm. And in the third t- part, you're also worried about the idea of... Trump trying to purge people who are whistleblowing in this way. That's right. Um, so it's sort of terrible options all the way down. Oh, just what joy. Okay, <laughs> so now on that note, um, you know, I, I, I try to leave. So we know our president reads Twitter quite frequently. So Matt and Jonathan, give me 140 characters or less. What should the president read from you today? Jonathan, you first. Um he needs to stop this Muslim ban, and he needs to recognize that it's the diversity of our country that makes it great. Uh, it's not, um, it's in the interest of, of all of us to, to embrace the religious diversity of, of all communities. All right, you did a Facebook post, Jonathan, but we'll we'll let you slide. We'll let you slide. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm teasing you, Matt. <laughs> your friends at Fox and Friends are lying about your phone taps. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Matt Gertz, senior fellow at Media Matters. You can find him on Twitter at Matt M A T T G E R T Z and Jonathan Smith, legal director at Muslim Advocates. You can find them on Twitter at Muslim Advocates. Gentlemen, great to have you both in with me today. We're gonna have to bring you back. There's a lot to talk about when we come back after the break we'll be talking all things sessions what's going on with him with russia what's going on with the supreme court nomination we'll be right back this is michelle Jawando on the leslie marshall show
Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Always great to be with you and to join you. And many thanks to our guests, Jonathan and Matt, on the last segment. And I'm back in the studio with some friends as we continue to kind of make sense of the impossible, our day-to-day underneath President 45. You guys know it's hard for me to say President Trump, so I'm just going to try to say President 45. Like, like that's all I think I can do today, right now. That's all I got. That's all I got, folks. But back with me to kind of break it down and explain the latest, I have in studio with me none other than Ian Milheiser. He's a senior fellow here at CAP. You can find him on on Twitter, and you should because he's often there. You can uh, check out Probably his too much there. Too much, too much, but but it's always a good time. I M I L L H I S E R, none other. Ian, welcome back. It's good to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us on the line, Adam Leos. He is the counsel and senior out- advisor for policy and outreach at Demos. You can find them on Twitter at Demos, D E M O S underscore org. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Hello, Michelle and Ian. So, Ian, let me start with you kind of just to pick up on our last segment, you know, because we're having this conversation about the Muslim ban, Mm -hmm. the new iteration. And you had a great piece today on Think Progress. Just let our listeners know a little bit about uh, that event. Sure. So we now have the uh, the new Muslim ban, which is a significant walk back from the old Muslim ban. Um, so now he's going to let legal permanent residents in. He's going to let um, people who have existing visas. That includes a lot of students and people like that in the country. Um, he's also going to let Iraqis in. He has dropped. Um, there were seven nations that he were go- he was going to ban people from during the period of the order, and now he said it's only going to be six. So this is um, not as bad as the previous order, but still super illegal. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the reason it's super illegal... Is that a technical term? Yeah, that, that, yeah, that is course. in fact, yeah, that's of from course. some Supreme Court case, I'm We're sure. making it up. We're making it up, Adam, as we go. Yeah, and the reason it's super illegal is because this guy ran around the country barred story about how he was going to ban Muslims. Mm-hmm. You, you know, mm-hmm. his own advisors have gone on Fox News and said, oh yeah, well what we did was like, he told us to come up with a Muslim ban, but we knew we couldn't call it that. Right. So we came up with a pretextual way to make it look like we were doing something else, but it's really just a ban. Yeah. Yeah. And w- once you've said that, I mean, I don't see how, how it's possible mm-hmm. to salvage the legality of the order because if you do something with that sort of intent, it, it, it is unconstitutional. It violates right. um, a federal law called RIFRA. And yeah, I mean, he, he can keep ordering this thing down, but it still exists for the purpose that he said it exists for. And, you know, it, what's so funny, Adam and Ian, is that the backdrop of this is this Supreme Court vacancy that's mm-hmm. currently happening. Um, for our listeners who who are regulars of the Leslie Marshall Show, you know, I often talk about the fact that Neil Gorsuch, who is, I say, in, in contention because of the stolen seat that was right. taken away from Barack Obama, um, uh, is currently set to go before the Senate Judiciary Committee in about two weeks, and it seems like we're going as business as usual, and then this absolutely wonderful letter uh, gets released today in Politico, and Adam, I know you, I saw your fingers all over this, Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this letter, letter and kind of what you're trying to do at Demos Action? Sure, well, what we're saying here is that there's a tremendous energy throughout the country to resist President Trump on all fronts. 
um, and that uh, Neil Gorsuch's nomination has to become an even bigger part of that resistance. Because if we cut through the muck and the fog here, what's critical is that this is a lifetime seat. And so, you know, sometimes it's hard to stay focused on that with all the daily outrages. But in 20, 30 years, what will be President Trump's legacy uh, after his unconstitutional Muslim ban is, is hopefully struck down? Uh, the legacy could be a Supreme Court justice who is with us in shaping the law. And this person, Neil Gorsuch, is not that the person that we need on the court. And so what we need is some increased energy and intention on that. And I, we've already seen our first pretty positive sign, which is that um, uh, Senator Angus King had a listening session recently on uh, Neil Gorsuch uh, back in Maine, and there were hundreds of people that came out, most of them opposed. Uh, and what we found is the more people actually learn about Judge Gorsuch and his extreme record, the more solid their opposition becomes. You know, one, this is something that I have been saying for quite some time. I have no idea how we're moving forward on a Supreme Court nomination with a president who is likely compromised by the Russians. Like that, that is the world we live in. And I feel like I'm like waving this red flag and hoping that someone sees like, Ian, is it just me or like what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, we, we sure, clearly we need to let the next president decide who's gonna fill the seat <laughs> on the question. Supreme Court. Without question. I, I mean, here's what worries me is that as Trump spirals more and more out of control, I think Republicans Republicans in the Senate are going to try to hit the gas on this nomination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the reason yeah. why is, I mean, like, they put forward a good front, but I think secretly, you know, when, when Republican senators are in private, they realize that this evil clown in the White House is dangerous. Mm -hmm. They realize he's a time bomb and he's going to, he's going to explode eventually. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they backed him is because they wanted two things. They wanted to gut our health care system. That's right. And they wanted a seat on, they wanted a Republican to fill the seat on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And Trump has given them a nominee that, that they like. Mm -hmm. And so their thinking right now is we better race this guy through before the orange homunculus in the White House explodes. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't do that, mm -hmm. then, you know, who knows what happens. Then we could get caught up in whatever scandal it is and we don't get around to filling this seat, which is the reason we all compromised, you know, our country and everything we're supposed to believe in in order to put this guy in the White House in the first Always place. Always party before country, it, it seems. And, you know, and Adam, one of the pieces uh, of your letter that I thought was so persuasive is the fact that, like, we need more energy and we need people to say, listen, we're, we're not moving like normal. This is not a normal uh, vacancy. And we should be saying and doing something about it. Exactly. And I think, you know, on the issue that I care about most, you know, not which is money and politics, which you and I have discussed before, not only is Neil Gorsuch a threat to our democracy because he would let more, you know, more big money, more corporate money into our political system, but he's also exhibit A about the, of the hypocrisy of President Trump, right? This is a guy who campaigned uh, saying that super PACs were a scam and disaster and presenting himself as a solution. And then he goes behind closed doors and he selects someone for the court with the help of one of the worst FEC commissioners of all time, Federal Election Commission, who he knows. He's right, going to be right. on the side of big money and on the side of against workers and for Wall Street, for big money and the powerful every single time. And so this is an example of the kind of hypocrisy of Trump trying to play to the, the average person, but really turning around and have policies that will go vastly in the other direction. And people need to see that more and more and see Neil Gorsuch not as 
uh, sort of a sideshow, but as exhibit A in the, in the resistance to Trump. Yeah, I mean, the the other thing here is I remind people, you know, Trump didn't all of a sudden get his act together and 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 originate and decide who Neil Gorsuch that Neil Gorsuch was going to be his pick. He was literally given a list of names from the Heritage Foundation and other kind of right wing organizations and said, here are your approved names president-elect or campaigner-in-chief or campaigner-in-orange. Um, and if you want to be president and you want us to sign off, you have to pick some money off this list. And that is how we got to Neil Gorsuch. And what was so amazing is that Neil Gorsuch wasn't on the original list and then put together a manifesto where he basically said, in a nod to what we later heard from Steve Bannon at CPAC, like we want to destroy the regulatory state, Neil Gorsuch puts together a manifesto that says exactly that, and then very quickly he makes it onto the second iteration of the list. And ta-da! There's your Supreme Here we Court. Are. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like you know, Trump always talks about how he likes to make deals. That's how he got this man. He was a deal. You, you know, he knew that there were a lot of people, like traditional conservatives, who were not comfortable with him as the party's nominee. And he was very explicit about it. He said, look, you got to vote for me because I'm going to give you the justice you want. And mm -hmm. the deal that he b brokered was he would delegate the, pra the process of picking this seat to the Heritage, uh, to Heritage and to the Federalist Society. And sure enough. That's exactly what here, I here we are with this guy who wants um, to comprehensively dismantle much of our ability to, you know, to have environmental regulation, mm -hmm. to have labor regulation, to have a government that functions. Mm -hmm. Yep, Adam. Yeah, and and so what we have to remember is that Neil Gorsuch, to get to where he is, had to pass a litany of litmus tests, right, from all the the the, the big spending conservative organizations, and so he had to be anti-choice, and he had to be uh, anti-reasonable uh, uh, protections for the environment, et cetera. But let's not forget that that Trump's biggest litmus test has always been loyalty to Trump, right? right. So the, the, I think one, and that's the scary part here, is that we are at a, part, a point in our history where it has never been more important to have a strong, independent judiciary. Mm -hmm. And we have a Supreme Court right now that is split 4-4 with uh, so much hanging in the balance. And to sort of put someone on that court for a lifetime seat whose first characteristic is loyalty to Trump to pass that litmus test to get to where he, he did is just a danger to the republic right now. Mm -hmm. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm in studio with Ian Milheiser, Adam Liaz. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. 888-6-LESLIE. Wando on the Leslie Marshall Show, closing out the hour with some friends in the studio, Ian Milheiser of Think Progress, and also senior fellow here at CAP. You can always find him on Twitter at I-E-N-M-I-L-L-H-I-S-E-R, and none other than Adam Leo's. He is counsel at Demos and Demos Action, um, and you can find them on Twitter at Demos underscore org. So, you know, Ian... Mm -hmm. Before the break, you know, we started to get into Gorsuch a bit, but I think people forget that, like, 
Thursday, we got a bombshell revelation that um, Attorney Je- Attorney General Jeff Sessions, um, who was one of the first senator, if no, no, he was the first senator to come out to support Donald Trump. Um, it was revealed, according to, I believe, the Washington Post, that put forth that he had communications and contact with the Russians during right. the campaign season, although he denied any of those contacts under oath when he testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And just the gravity of that moment, I think, like, so much happens, but we forget how big of a deal that really was. Right, yeah. I think the key point here is the fact that he didn't tell the truth under oath. I mean, senators meet with ambassadors all the time, Mm -hmm. and and if he had just said, yeah, I had two meetings with the Russian ambassador, then, like, he might have gotten some follow-up questions that he didn't want to answer, Mm -hmm. but, like, he wouldn't be in any legal hot water for Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, the reason why he is in trouble is because he was asked if you met. He was asked about the campaign's contacts with the Russians and what he would do um, if there's an investigation. And he he, he he volunteered out of nowhere. Well, I haven't met with the Russians. Mm-hmm. When it turns out that he in fact met twice with the Russians. Um, so the question is whether he perjured himself. If somehow he didn't realize he was, you know, he'd forgotten about his meetings with the Russians. He he thought he was answering a different question. You know, there there are defenses here. Mm-hmm. But if he knew he was was lying, um, then he's um, in some legal hot water. And what we need is we need a special prosecutor mm-hmm. because you can't expect anyone within DOJ to investigate this when their boss. Right. is now going to be a target it's of the investigation. I mean, and just for context, I want to remind people that this, uh, there were Republicans in the Senate who moved to um, to impeach and to impugn Eric Holder because he didn't know one of the a small detail related to investigation. I mean, we're talking right. about the Russians having, <laughs> I mean, it's just, Adam, it, yeah. it almost seems like it's, it's out of control and the question that you wonder is you know where where does it end where do the context end when does the story um uh when where is the end of this actual story well i think it's the obligation of uh ideally a special prosecutor as as ian said and also our members of congress who are supposed to be exercising oversight here to get to the bottom of this and find out where this story ends you know when i first heard about the the sessions revelation i had an experience that has become all too common in 2017, which is that I was not at all shocked by something that would be ordinarily shocking. <laughs> um, because, you know, this is a, this is a guy who, uh, who was misleading in how he characterized some of his work at the DOJ and was later called out on it. This is a guy who left out reams of relevant information when he submitted his information to the Judiciary Committee. And, of course, someone who has stood uh, time and again on the wrong side of history against racial equity and civil rights. So we were convinced at Demos that this was not the right man to be our attorney general before this. Mm-hmm. And now you have someone who is in an interview for the top law enforcement job in the country and at best has material omissions and possibly perjured himself. So this is serious stuff. Him recusing himself, which is good that he recused himself from uh, investigations into this, but that is not sufficient. That's not where this needs to stop. 
um, as you uh, pointed out and sort of implied, this needs to go further, and we need to get to the bottom not only of, of what uh, Jeff Sessions was up to, but then where, where this story ends with the Trump administration. So earlier in the day, Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, senior senator from Connecticut, um, tomorrow before the Senate Judiciary Committee, or committee of which where Senator Blumenthal also sits, mm-hmm. um, they are having a nominations hearing on the number two at justice. Um, and he has basically said that until we get to the bottom of what happens on Russia, he's going to block and use every tool he has um, unless there are certain questions. Do you, Will you support an independent special prosecutor? Uh, what is What will be your role? And, and I feel like, Ian, you know, Blumenthal has it right here, yeah. and Adam, I also love to hear from you on this, um, because that number two position now takes on a completely different tenor, role, and importance with the backdrop of what everything that's happening right. with Jeff Sessions. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as a condition of his being confirmed, the, the guy's name is Rod uh, Rosenstein, who's right. the nominee to be uh, the deputy attorney general. Former U.S. attorney from Maryland. Uh, current U.S. attorney. Yeah, current U.S. Yeah. attorney, that's right. And, and for what I've heard, like, he has a reputation for being a good lawyer. A stand-up and, guy. Yeah, yep. not, not someone who's particularly political. And this is like the case for a special prosecutor here really is a no brainer. What mm-hmm. the Justice Department's regulations say is that a special prosecutor is appropriate when the Department of Justice itself is conflicted mm-hmm. in a case. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I mean, the Attorney General is right. now one of the subjects of the investigation. So how could the de- how could the Department of Justice be more conflicted? Mm-hmm. You can't have Rosenstein investigating his boss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the the obvious thing. To to do is, you know, Rosenstein should find some, you know, maybe a former U.S. attorney, you right. know, someone with solid prosecutorial credentials, someone who, Eric Holder? No. Yeah, Eric Holder would be great. I hear Sally Yates isn't doing anything. Sally Yates? Uh, it doesn't have to be a partisan, but it right, does have right. to be someone who's not beholden to Trump or Sessions mm-hmm. or to the GOP, mm-hmm. and let them just figure out what the facts are. That's right. And if Sessions has a defense that's a valid defense, I mean, we live under the rule of law and he should be able to present his defense. Mm -hmm. But what we need to know is what happened. And we need to know how deep this goes. And Adam, I mean, Blumenthal saying he'll use every tool. It seems like he he read your letter. He's getting the message (laughs) that it's time for people to actually stand up and kind of be true to their values. Well, right. It's gratifying to see, you know, people saying that that this kind of uh, resistance is in order. And I just it just reminds me that when Demos first Demos action first started to oppose Jeff Sessions, one of the reasons we were so concerned is whether he would have the ability to exercise any independent judgment in holding President Trump's administration accountable. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we sort of have. So even if he was not hopelessly conflicted out of this situation, I would have concerns with whether. The fir- as you said, the first person out of the gate to support uh, Trump's candidacy, someone who is sort of, you know, was hopelessly involved in the campaign and, and, and in that way uh, kind of part and parcel of the Trump apparatus, whether he'd be able to exercise the judgment. Now it's abundantly clear, not only can he not do that with Trump, but he's also involved himself. So That's it right. just doubles down on the logic that we need clear answers from an independent inquiry here. And so I think it ends exactly right. All right. So I got 30 seconds left. We know Trump reads Twitter. Adam, <laughs> I'll start with you. What's your tweet to Trump today? Enough is enough. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> period. There you give, go. Give us a breath. Give us a breath. <laughs> Ian, resign. Your... Resign. Oh, there we go. <laughs> this is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show, giving many thanks to my guests in studio today, Ian Milheiser. Please check him out on Twitter and Think Progress and Adam Leos of Demos and Demos Action. Gentlemen, always great to be with you. Thanks, to everyone, check out Resistance Near Me. Know that the resistance doesn't happen without you. This is Michelle Jawando on The Leslie Marshall Show. I'll be back again soon. Take care.